Hello, everybody. I'm Jeremy Hobbs, and welcome back to another episode of Love One Another. Now, we have dealt with uh, two episodes now, uh, discussing basically my fundamental beliefs and things of that nature. Now, since that time, I have had a few phone calls and uh, letters sent to me, you know, debunking what I was saying, you know, because the Bible is all man-made, but so why did God say these things and stuff like that? Well, let me put it this way. The Bible itself, has sections to it that are very truly that are truly crucial to our existence and our importance. Um, one of those sections, if you'll allow me, is um, let me pull that up real quick because I took a lot of notes today because you know I want to make sure that I give people the correct word, okay? Because it's a question we all ask ourselves: sometimes. Does the Old Testament law well, still apply? Do Christians follow the Old Testament. Um, and the Old Testament law is found in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This includes the Ten Commandments. It is often referred to as the Scripture as the Law of Moses and the Tables of the Covenant, or just law. Okay. Now, Jesus said, uh, I believe it was Matthew 5, 17 to 20, he said, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the Law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear not even the smallest detail of god's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved so if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but anyone who obeys god's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven but i warn you unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven you know that worries me sometimes and i had to pray about that because you know, I'm not trying to dissuade people from the religion of God or anything like that, but I, I also know that the, what he meant, and I mean, a lot of people, you know, I, I've read so many different passages, especially about homosexuality and things like that. Some of them are scared the shit out of me because, you know, uh, there's a lot of different uh, transition translations, especially from the Hebrew language, as far as what, what took place. Homosexuality is not even in the Bible until 1948. Um, it's something that puts somebody put in there, but based upon their own personal issues. Now, a lot of times it refers to man uh, lying with man. And now what that refers to, what that means, it's not man lying with man. It's man lying with um, the same uh, same blood, like a brother or, or something like that, or father, son, or father uh, or older and younger pedophilia. Um, what that basically boils down to. Um, because we're talking about lying with a woman or whatever, and that means uh, a certain whole different substance of what we think it means. Um, there's three different types. There's ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law in the Bible. Now, ceremonial law, it was related specifically to Israel's worship. Uh, its primary purpose was uh, to point forward to Jesus Christ, like the coming of Christ. These laws, therefore, were no longer necessary after Jesus' death and resurrection. So while ceremonial law no longer a binds us, the principle behind it to worship and love a holy God still apply, which I do. We, I, you know, I worship, I love my, I love my God, my father, my son, you know, all that. Um, the civil law that applied in daily living in, in Israel is because modern society and culture are so radically different from that time and setting. All these guidelines cannot be followed today specifically, but the principles behind the commands are timeless and should guide our conduct. Jesus demonstrated his principles by example, uh, everything he did through life. 
the main one that we should always focus on is the moral law, such as the Ten Commandments. It's the direct command of God. If you take anything away from the Old Testament, that is what you should take away from it, because God gave these commandments to Moses, and it requires strict obedience. The moral law reveals the nature and will of God, and it still applies to us today. Jesus obeyed the moral law completely. So don't get me wrong. I don't say that you just shouldn't follow the whole Old Testament. You should follow the Ten Commandments and things of that nature because, you know, they're, it's a moral code that we should follow every day in our lives, you know, and that all goes to uh, not not bearing false witness against thy neighbor, Um all these things that you can do, I mean, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not do all these things. I mean, because these are things that are very important uh, in our lives that, that can help truly make our journey successful or or with failure. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Christ, he, you know, he, he had problems with the Pharisees. Some of the, uh, you know, uh, the Pharisees were exacting and scrupulous in their in their attempts to follow the morals. So Jesus could re how could he re reasonably call us to greater righteousness than theirs? But the Pharisees' weak Pharisees' weaknesses was that they were content to obey the laws outwardly without allowing God to change their hearts or attitudes. They looked pious, but they were far from the kingdom of heaven. God judges our hearts as well as our deeds, for it is in the heart that our real allegiance lies. God looks within you. He knows what's within you. He knows what you feel. He knows what's really at stake, what the, the main purpose that you do, the things that you do, okay? Now, Jesus told us, and then somebody asked him, uh, teacher, what is the greatest commandments in the law? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They all follow these, these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those two commandments right there have are the precipice of what the Bible is about. What Jesus Christ's teachings are about. Those are the greatest commandments according to Jesus Christ himself. So he, he didn't judge us. He didn't ridicule us. He didn't mock us. He spoke the truth and formed and provided guidance up to the very end of his life. In the end, Jesus Christ, you know, chose love along with the power of forgiveness, which is the accurate marker of Christianity, like in Luke 23, uh, where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We talked about this in the last episode. It's dying words on the cross. Uh, before he said it is done and you know i want people to know that i'm not trying to talk down religion in any way i'm trying to tell people beware of hypocrisy now one of the things that god does teach us and we have to be careful when we call out people because we have to remember that a flock is 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 is, is beheld to whoever this person is that is you know, saying these things or um, condemning and all this other stuff. And, you know, it all falls into certain categories for those type of people. Our main goal is that we, you know, we are to call out hypocrisy as it is. But, you know, we do not uh, uh, destroy the person. 
The reason why I say that is because what we do to that one individual can affect all the people of his flock. You know, we have to be very careful in our wording to help people. You know, if you have a bad preacher or whatever, he can be redeemed. He really can. And, you know, it just takes love and acceptance and, and you know, him willing to listen and learn and turn his and, and truly guide himself more towards Christ's teachings. But, you know, the, the whole thing is, folks, the people that follow that pastor or that leader or what have you can be dissuaded from God. Because as a result, because if we call out his hypocrisy or whatever, they may just not even turn their backs on religion altogether. And that would be our fault because we did it. We called it out, but we did not think of the consequences of what took place. So that's why I'm doing this episode today, just to make sure that uh, the aftermath or the, the you know everything that takes place after what I've said, or when I call these people out, that they understand that you should still forgive the person. You can still love them. You can still go to them for prayer and everything else. And doesn't mean you have to turn your back on them. Jesus never turned his back on anyone whatsoever. So remember these things when I tell you. I mean, it's very important that we continuously remember to love thy neighbor and always forgive. Because there's been so many people that have been destroyed or uh, religion has just been thrown out the door but as a result when they see a leader of theirs brought down because of his hypocrisy or because of his uh callous ways or sinful ways basically and you know a lot of them don't realize they do it there are some that really are just oblivious to it because they believe this with all their hearts i mean i have read so much text on there the last couple of days and i mean it's just so disheartening because you know i have to pray every day about it I say, you please make sure that I'm not leading people astray. I beg of you, make, show me the sign, show me the way, make me know in my heart of, our, of all hearts that what I do is pure, what I do is true, and it is your it is your will. And, you know, God welcomes people. I mean, all people. We have to remember that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This message is for all people, including LGBTQ individuals. God did not make a mistake in creating LGBTQ people. For you created my most in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's some Psalms. Sexual identity and sexual uh, and gender identity are components of a person's personality, and as such, are part of a of a of who God made us each to be. Now, all people are justified through Christ, including LGBTQ people. God was reconciling reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. This is not to say that LGBTQ is a sin, but it, if it were, it would certainly be forgiven. God forgives all sins, but we, you know, it's you know, we always leave out the part where He says, you know, uh, judge not, you know, unless you unless you want to be judged, basically. But He also says at the very end, go and sin no more. Now, it's hard to tell what our lives are. 
because God has to know that we were born this way and we don't choose this lifestyle. But then again, I've read some texts where it says, you know, okay, well, if you're born this way, it doesn't matter. You were all born in sin. We all have to be, uh, be um, reborn through God, be, be baptized and all this other stuff and live our lives for God. It's a very big, confusing issue. But I do know this. God loves every one of us. He put us all here for a reason. He gave us a choice whether we wish to follow him or not. Now, whatever the kingdom of heaven is, I have no clue. I, I can't even fathom or, or imagine what it may be. But I know this, that we were not sent here to suffer and deal with all the hate and all the things that have been said against us and all the things that have been pushed upon us. I will say this. Um, uh, I'm going to find some uh, information, I believe, if I can. It's all in reference to how God will evaluate our lives. For those of whom I feel it's better to be safe and sorry and sticking with the traditional teaching on LGBTQ issues, consider that the Bible does not tell us to judge or make life difficult for other people. These are seven, I'm going to tell you, seven passages have been used to justify bias against LGBTQ people. But there are over a hundred about love. So it may be the safest to focus on love. Scripture has been used to justify slavery, to exclude divorced people from full participation in the sacraments, to exclude women from ministry, and to persecute left-handed people. And the church has, has been wrong in its treatment of LGBTQ issues. This would not be unprecedented. So, you know, Jesus says nothing about being gay or trans sin. And John 8, 7, he says, he is without sin, cast the first stone. Throughout the Bible, God warns against casting judgment upon others. And in Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are, you who are uh, blessed by my father, uh, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And uh, for instance, Mark 12. Uh, love the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. Second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We talked about that earlier. Now, Matthew 18, if anyone calls as one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, see, this right here is where I pray. Because, you know, I consider this in the context of LGBTQ people have lost their faith because their church told them God did not love them. It's all about a perception and, and translation, how we perceive it. You know, but I also know that I pray all the time, please, Lord, don't let me misguide your people. Don't let me lead your people astray. Don't let me lead your people to sin. Give me the message that I need to give. Give me the, the focus, the vision that I need to work upon. You know, you're going to hear a lot more, you know, the reverend part of me today. Because, I mean, these things need to be addressed. And I want people to know that I am full of conviction where I have to constantly pray and pray and pray for God's shining wisdom and, and uh, guidance and divine intervention to help me know that 
what I say, what I do, the things I give, the things I say to people that affect people's decision-making are right or just or correct. And, you know, it bothers me so badly that, you know, I just don't know the truth. You know, I know what I feel in my heart of hearts, what I know, what I feel with all my might, that in my mind it comforts me and lets me know that this is what I say is right, is good, and is what Jesus wants us to do. Because I don't think of Jesus as ever wanting to harm anyone or ever wanting to push anyone because they're different. John 6, it says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. God would not want LGBT, would not want to lose any LGBTQ people or have them driven away from the church or lose their faith. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want people sitting there preaching down upon them every time you turn around. Now, the Bible verses that have been used to condemn LGBTQ people, we're going to go over that tonight, too, because, you know, you always hear about all these uh, the, the main ones they always pull up. So let's talk about that. We're seeking to understand any Bible verse. It's important to know the context of the verse, as well as how the verse had been translated from the original language. Now, the following are points to consider when thinking about the verses that have been used to justify prohibitions on same-sex marriage, full participation in church community for LGBTQ people. Now, nowhere in the Bible, taken in its original language and context, is there a prohibition against loving consensual same-sex relationships, nor against people living as their authentic genders. You know, say, Genesis 19, 1 to 13, Sodom and Gomorrah. The story is preceded by examples of Abraham and Lot being, welcomed, uh, being welcoming to strangers, the lack of hospitality, and the desire to, buy, to do violence to the visitors were considered grave transgressions regardless of the gender of their visitors. The reference in Jude 1 through 7 to strange flesh likely refers to the fact that the angels they wanted to assault were not human. Now, this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, un unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. That is why they failed. You were, I mean, these places are in deserts. They're supposed to be welcoming and open for other people to come through. They didn't want to let anybody come through. They wanted to be closed off. And that is where they failed. Uh, now, Leviticus 18.22, you know, they said, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman that is detestable. The literal translation of the original Hebrew, however, is, and with male, you shall not lie, lying's women. And with male, you shall not lie, lying's women. The word translated as lying's is found only in Genesis 49.4, where it refers to the incest. In Leviticus, this verse comes in a list of prohibitions against having sex with family members. So it is reasonable to conclude that it's prohibition against incest. Nothing more. Uh, in Romans uh, 1, 26 and 27, uh, here, Paul is condemning the sinful and harmful acts he perceives in Roman culture at the time. Since same gender and non-heterosexual attractions are natural, this condemnation is not directed at LGBTQ people. Also in Romans 2.1, Paul condemns those who misuse God's teaching to judge others. And I think it's 1 Corinthians 6.9 and uh, 1 Timothy 1 through, 1, 9 through 11. 
These verses read respectively. Or you do not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. And we also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, uh, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, and for uh, practicing homosexuality. Now, the words translated as homosexuals and men who have sex with men more accurately translate to men who sleep with enslaved male prostitutes. The word homosexual is not found in the Bible, like I said earlier, until 1948, implying that it was added, likely added as a result of a, the translator's own personal prejudices. Uh, Matthew 94, have you, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning of the Creator made the male and female. In the same section in verse 12, Jesus says, for there are Enoch's who were born that way, and there were Enoch's who have been made Enoch's by others. And there are those who choose to live like Enoch's for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It is evident that Jesus was aware that gender variance existed and he does not condemn it. And Deuteronomy 22, uh, five, yeah. Uh, a woman must not wear women's, must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear men, women's clothing for the Lord your God to test anyone who does this. The word translated as clothing here Kelly is translated elsewhere as armor. And the word translated as man, Gabber, actually means warrior. This implies a prohibition against intent to deceive by pretending to be a warrior or for a warrior to deceive by disguising himself as a woman. In other words, trying to stop them, stop uh, being, you know, into the army so he'll pretend like he's a woman. And that happened all several times back in the day. They didn't want to fight the wars or whatever. They would dress up as women. Now, that, I believe, is what they were referring to. I mean, you know, like I said, folks, it's it's so much translation, so much uh, how you perceive it. So, I mean, I told you I didn't want to get in all in all the Bible, but I think that with this today, this is the episode that we need to get it out of the way, talk about it, go ahead and deal with all the naysayers and all the people that are going to sit there and uh, contradict me and say I'm wrong about all these things and stuff like that. I want to make sure that I am clear. I want to make sure that my message is clear, that the Old Testament is good because it has the, the moral law, the law of Moses, uh, the Ten Commandments. And we should follow those every day of our lives, every day. Not one of those commandments have ever changed where we should not follow those. Nothing has changed in times or anything else has happened. The other two, you know, like I said, um, um, civil law and um, ceremonial law really no longer, I mean, ceremonial uh, it really doesn't apply anymore. Like I said, it was about all the stuff that happened before Jesus came. It was guiding people, hey, this is going to happen. You know, look at the look, look what's takes place and all this other stuff. And that's why Herod went crazy and tried to kill all the babies and stuff like that. All people, including LGBTQ individuals, were created in God's image. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. The use of two primary genders in this passage is likely a mirrorism, uh, a figure of speech by which a single thing, in this case, humanity, 
is referred to by a phrase that lists several of its parts, but does not list all components. In the other creation passages, day and night are specified, but not twilight. Seas and land are mentioned, but not creeks or marshes. Vegetation on land, but not reference to algae. This passage also indicates that God is not limited to a single gender. There are several characters in the Bible who are non-gender conforming, um, meaning that they did not behave according to the traditional gender roles or they were not typically men, tip, tip, your typical physical men and women. Like uh, Jacob. Jacob preferred to be with uh, be with his mother at home. He enjoyed cooking, was uh, smooth-skinned, in contrast to his brothers, who was hairy and preferred to hunt and be outdoors. Uh, Joseph, Jacob's son, was uh, was given an uh, an ornate robe by his father. The uh, Hebrew word used for the robe, ketzenet pasim, is used elsewhere to mean the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. So they gave him a, a virgin daughter's form. Uh, let's see, Deborah from Judges 4 through 5 was the uh, judge of Israel, acting as a prophet and military leader at a time when women were treated like property and valued by the number of children they could bear. Uh, Haggai, uh, the eunuch in charge of the palace, uh, where women in the story of Esther helped uh, Esther to become queen. Abed and Malek, uh, also known also as an eunuch. Uh, who saved the life of the prophet Jeremiah. The man carrying the water jar, whom Jesus indicated would take the disciples to the room for his last supper, was doing work that was normally done by women and yet was given the part to play in Jesus' ministry. The Bible contains feminine in, feminine in, images of God, in addition to the masculine metaphors of father and king. Remember, God has many faces and many names. God's wisdom in Proverbs is pers personified as female. Proverbs 1 through 20, 8, 1, and 9, 1. And Christ is the wisdom of God. First uh, Corinthians 1 through 24. 1, 24, excuse me. Many references to God describe actions associated with women, nurturing life in the womb, giving birth, and protecting children. That's in Psalms, John, and Matthew. Many early er interpreters believe that Adam was androgynous, representing aspects of the uh, archetype. Arch 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 oh, I never said that word. Archetypical. Arch archetypical, there we go, archetypical human. The Talmud recognizes six genders that are non-binary or intersex in addition to male and female. So there's a lot of information in the Bible when you really decipher it, read it, understand it, and know it. You know, we've got a lot of work to be done with our understanding of the God's word, but we must also understand that, you know, Judge Jesus warned against using anti-gay slurs. We have so many of that happens every day. Uh, you know, Matthew 5.22 reads, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is unanswerable to the court. The original Greek text does not include sister. And the word Raka is most likely a, a transliteration of the Arabic word Raka, which is the feminine form of the adjective that means to be tender, weak, or soft. So this would be comparable to a calling a man a sissy or worse. On relationships, love is a gift from God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5.22 uh, God made us to be in a relationship with him and with each other. It is bad for man to be alone. 
in Genesis 2.18. It would be inconsistent with God's loving nature to create a people who were gay and then condemn them to a life of loneliness. Heterosexual marriages were presented as an example rather than a definition of how God puts people in relationships. In Genesis 2.24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother is united to, and a mother is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The clause that is why points back to 2.18. God creates community and families, uniting people together. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's Matthew 19.5. God can and does create unions with all types of people, including LGBTQ individuals. Um, you know, celibacy, it was like, oh, God, I might as well just be celibate. If I'm, I'm not, if I'm going to be gay, that's the only way I can be saved. Celibacy is, a good, is good if one is called to do it, but it's not for everyone. Uh, Matthew 19, 11, uh, marriage is good, too. Uh, better to be married than to burn with passion, 1 Corinthians 7, 9. Examples of love between um, people of the same gender in the Bible, David and Jonathan. Uh, after David had fi- had finished talking to, with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as his self. 1 Samuel 18.1. David says of Jonathan, your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. That's from 2 Samuel 1.26. Ruth and Naomi. Ruth expresses her devotion to Naomi. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, but it be ever so severely if even death separates you and me. That's from Ruth 1, 16 to 17. And then the centurion and his servant. Uh, from Matthew 8, 5 through 10. The word used for servant here, pious, or pious, excuse me, pious, I believe it is, uh, was commonly used to describe a servant who is a romantic partner of the master. Okay. So much information out there, folks. All you have to do is read up on it. And I want to make sure that this episode right here we hit all those episodes we talked about where gender identity is in the bible where where love of a man of a man our same-sex relationships were in the bible where all these things were talked upon so we can understand that god loves us no matter what okay i mean i know i focus a lot on the lgbtq because you know that's the big thing right now that's the big phase everybody wants to go through of hatred and condemnation and putting us down and calling us names and everything else in the book. You know, the church needs its LGBTQ members. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is within the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves and some are free. But when we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, we all share the same spirit. And the early church welcomed non-gender conforming people. One of the first recorded baptisms by the apostles was uh, was of an Ethiopian eunuch, eunuch in Acts 8.27. Uh, God welcomes people of all genders and sexual identity. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor uh, neither slave nor free, uh, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Also, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I love that line right there. 
Also, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean, as Acts 10, 28. Jesus gladly socialized with people that the religious establishment disapproved of, Matt 9 and 11. Uh, let's see. And that, you know, that right there tells you a lot about our Lord and Savior. I mean, he was there for us through everything that we ever needed. And his teachings, everything that he did, we're not supposed to sin. We're not supposed to go out there and commit all these adulteries and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I'm a sinner. I'll be the first to admit that to everybody out there. You know, I've had a life of um, of lustful behavior and things of that nature. And I and I and I say to people, you know, when you give people, when people find out who they are and they have nowhere to turn and they're just turned to a life of, you know, condemnation and um, hatred and uh, discrimination and everything else. But in between, you live your lives kind of as a mongrel because you don't know where to go. You don't know how, you don't have an established, established environment where this is a structure to it, just like the heterosexuals have. Heterosexuals have a structure. I mean, my God, they've had it ever since the beginning of time. But LGBT people have not. They're finding the way because now that marriage is now legal, that means that people now can find that structure that they need. And, you know, it, it's hit and miss for right now because you know, everybody's trying this and trying that. And, you know, everybody want to jump on the bandwagon to get married and stuff. Hell, even I got married. But, you know, I was with the person for 10 years before I married him. But I'm, I'm divorced today. But at the same time, though, I guess I'm dead in the eyes of Jesus. No, I did what was right to restore love to both of us. We both care about each other. We both uh, love each other. But we're just not good for one another. I mean, we brought out the worst in one another when we said we could bring out the best. It's not intentional. It's just the way it happens sometimes. You know, it's just uh, about issues that we faced together. And, you know, I'll always love him. I can't stop loving him. He's crazy as hell, but I love him. And uh, he knows that today. But uh, we're good friends today. I didn't th never thought in a million years we'd be able, to be, be able to be friends after it was all said and done, but... And you know, we cried together. I mean, we, oh, God, we cried hard that day because he really wanted me to change my mind and wanted me to stop the thing. But everything within me told me this is the right decision. Keep moving forward. Do it, Jeremy. This is what must be done. And I did it. And for finally in my life, I found peace. I found relaxation. <laughs> Needless to say. I found comfort and I didn't need someone in it to feel uh, whole. A lot of people think that they have to have someone in their lives to be whole. And that's just part of the, the society that we, and we, we group, we, we shack up, we, we connect. We, uh, you know, we always want that bestie or the person uh, number one with us, you know, a ride or die. We always want that one person with us because nobody wants to be alone. And the people that choose to be alone today have been hurt or have been done wrong, or possibly they just have a lot of hate in their heart. And they don't see the good that men do more so than they do the wrong, or they see the wrong of others. And in our lives today here on earth, we face so many hurdles and challenges and 
things. Every time we turn on the news, we hear negativity and sadness and, and just pure out grief and, and just everything that you can think of. But I tell people all the time, the Bible does say about homosexuality, same-sex attraction and being transgender, is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This message is for all people, including LGBTQ individuals. God did not make a mistake in creating you. For you created my most inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God made us, each and every one. And don't ever let anyone make you feel like you're not good enough or that God does not love you or that God wants to cast you out of the fire, fiery stones, fire hills. He doesn't. God wants you just to believe in him, love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And love one another as you love yourself. If we can do those things in life, we truly will be blessed. We truly will be happy. And to hell with what anybody else has to say. This is Jeremy Hobbs. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, love one another. Have a great day.